If you could please rise for the reading of God's Word, we are going through the book of Romans. Going through the book of Romans, chapter by chapter, through the book of Romans. And we are in chapter 6 of the book of Romans. Now, if, uh, if someone were to ask me, what chapter of the Bible has had more influence on me than any other chapter in the Bible? This is it. Romans chapter 6 has just had an enormous impact on me as a new believer. When I came to know the Lord and began walking with the Lord, it's almost impossible to know and understand how to walk with Jesus without an understanding of Romans chapter 6. So that's where we're going to be today. Let's pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for, for you to just break open the heavens, Lord, as we're in your word, as we were praying at the prayer service prior to, Lord, God forbid it that we just come here, Lord, on Sunday mornings just so we can walk out feeling a little better. That, Lord, that's, God forbid it, that's not why we come. Lord, we come by faith, believing your word in the book of Haggai, that it's, a, it, it, it's your pleasure when we gather here and that you want to you wanna break forth, Lord, the... Uh, the heavens just breaking forth, our hearts opening up to that breaking forth. That we would see you in all your fullness. That we would even understand who we are, Lord. That we would understand in full the price that you paid, Lord Jesus, on the cross. That as Daniel was uh, leading us in prayer during the worship and in an exhortation that, Lord, we would somehow get how you look at us, Lord, with an unfiltered lens. How you look at us, your word says. We, you, you see Christ. You don't see us in, in the filthy rags of our past. You see Christ in everything that that means. That's why we came here, Lord. Not to just for a feel-good thing, not for a vitamin B12 shot to get us through the week, Lord. We came here, Lord, just to have an encounter with you, with you in all your fullness, as your word says, that we would know in our inner man, our inner woman, how wide and long and high and deep is your great salvation, Lord. I pray that you do that by the Holy Spirit, Lord. Please, Lord, I just pray that I would not be a hindrance to that happening, Lord. Help me. Help me, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name and by your blood I pray. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. You may be seated. So the Bible says that you are a Christian if and only if 
you have joined yourself to Jesus Christ. You have joined yourself to Jesus Christ by believing who he is, the Son of God who lived for you, died for you, rose again from the dead for you, and by entrusting your life to him, giving your life over to him. If you are a Christian, there is a two-word description of you in the New Testament. A two-word description. In Christ. About 50 times you are described in the New Testament in that way. In Christ. Christian. In Christ. That describes you. The book of Romans. It took me a long time to get to it here at Calvary Chapel. 17 years. I was scared. <laughs> it's a hard book to teach through. It's the Apostle Paul's exhaustive theology of Christianity, meaning in this letter he explains everything you need to know to understand Christianity. He starts from the beginning in ages past when man was created. Paul goes from there and takes you all the way to what's going to happen in the ages ahead of us in the future. All throughout the letter, the focal point, the theme, the focus, the draw, the overarching attention is on Jesus Christ. But in this letter, in all Paul's letters, you're described with two words. Sean, can we see that again? In Christ. Now in the first two, two and a half chapters of the book of Romans, it, it describes you before you were a Christian, the life, your life out of Christ. It describes you before you were a Christian, when you were out of of Christ in great detail and it was very painful for us to read Paul by the Holy Spirit describes the life your life out of Christ before you were in Christ and it is the description of you and me and every one of us and everyone who has ever lived um, other than Christ himself, how we came out of our mother's womb. We came, away, came out of our mother's womb out of Christ. Pushing God away. It describes this in Romans chapter 1. Pushing him away. Wanting to be God ourselves. Taking from God what was originally intended to be God's alone, the authority over our lives. An authority, by the way, that's just driven by by love and the glory of God, we suppressed it, Romans 1.18. We pushed it out. No way, none of that, we said. We don't want God's authority in our lives. 
the, the truth about God, what our relationship with him uh, was supposed to be, uh, made clear to it, but we suppressed it. Again, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, uh, we, we knew the truth, but pushed it out of the way. We pretended it wasn't really there. We twisted it, we hid it, we tucked it away for some other time uh, where maybe we would pay attention to it and proceeded to live our life however we wanted to live it pretending that it was our right and privilege to do that, to wait on God in that way. So not in Christ, but out of Christ, the first two and a half chapters of the book of Romans. Now, the last part of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4 was about how you and me went from being out of Christ to being in Christ. Some of you are not, have never done that. You're still out of Christ. But, 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 but chapter 4, uh, at the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4, w- w- describe how a person or how you and I, or many of us in this room, went from being out of Christ to in Christ. How you go from being out of Christ to in Christ, um, uh, how... The last part of Romans chapter 3 and chapter 4 says that you do this by believing. Again, we started with this, believing in who he is, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who lived for you, died for you, rose again from the dead for you, and entrusting your life to him. You went from out of Christ to in Christ. That's what chapter 4 is about and the end of chapter 3. You do that, and you go from being out of Christ to in Christ, from being out of Christ, meaning under the end and which includes, by the way, being under the judgment of God. So every man or woman who's out of Christ is under the judgment, the wrath of God, the just wrath, the just anger of God, out of Christ. To being in Christ and inside rather than outside the love of God. doesn't mean that a man or woman who is not, is not loved when they're out of Christ. They, they are, but they were, they were or are outside the love of God and not in it. So then we came to chapter 5 of Romans. Again, first two and a half chapters about being out of Christ half of chapter 3, chapter 4, how to go from out of Christ to in Christ. And then, the, and then chapter 5, there is a description for the first time of what you have now that you are in Christ. And so we went through this list. We went through this list in, uh, last week. Verse 1 of chapter 5 of Romans says that now, you, now in Christ you have peace with God. Verse 2 says, in Christ you stand in grace. Verse 2 also says that in Christ you rejoice in hope, meaning you, you rejoice in what is coming to you in the future, in this life and for all eternity. Number four, in Christ you rejoice. You actually have the privilege of rejoicing in your tribulations. Is that crazy or what? Rejoicing in your tribulations. In that life-crushing, bone-crushing, soul-crushing affliction, you have the power and the grace to have joy in it and worship God in it. And then number five, in Christ, you receive the love of God. 
It's not that God didn't love you when you were out of Christ, you just weren't receiving any. So, as I mentioned last week, so last week's message on the first six verses, um, r- rather the um, last week's message really was on most of chapter 5, a person has a reaction to this when they first go from being out of Christ to in Christ. They see this, that now I'm in Christ, I have peace with God, I have grace, hope, tribu- I can rejoice in tribulation, I have the love of God, and, and they have mixed reactions. One, one reaction is, wow, that's awesome. This is incredible. But then another response, another reaction, and this eventually, it, it starts settling in to everybody who makes this transition from being out of Christ to in Christ wait a second, (laughs) what about all my baggage? What about all that stuff that I have in my life? What about this darkness, this gunk that I put in my mind? What about the fact that I've I've, I've put my mind, uh, I've let the sewer run through it for the last 10, 20, 30 years, or six months, whatever time period? How can I ever have the peace of God when I have all this residue, this leftover stuff? And Paul knows exactly that that would be happening when someone read the first five chapters of Romans. That in Christ, now that you're in Christ, you have the peace, the grace, the hope, that rejoicing in tribulations and, and, and the love of God. And, and so he... In Romans 5, and we were in this um, all last week, uh, he, he presents one argument of why, look, I, I, I get it. I, I, I get why you're reacting that way. I understand it, why you're finding it hard to believe that these things can really be a reality in your life, uh, that they are really what God has for you now. I get that, but listen to my two arguments. And in chapter 5, he gives one argument, and in chapter 6, he gives a completely different argument. In chapter 5, which is where we were last week, it can be summed up, his argument that we were in last week can be summed up really in a verse from Philippians. Philippians 1.6 says this. It says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, you've believed who Jesus is and what he did uh, for you. You've believed that. Well, if you believed who Jesus is, the Son of God who lived for you, died for you, rose again from the dead for you, and that he saved you from hell, from judgment, why would you believe that God is not also going to continue this work of grace in your life? Why would you continue? Can you have a list again, Sean? Why would, why would you not believe that if he did that, he would not continue the work and establish you as a man, a woman of peace, grace, hope, rejoicing in tribulation and love. That was the argument that he gives in chapter 5. The argument in chapter 6 is a different one. You see, this is a, Paul knows this is a really, really strong thing. 
the Holy Spirit knows that we get all kinds of gunk, all kinds of stuff that prohibit any of this from happening. And so two full chapters are dedicated because God wants you in this place. He, he wants everybody in this room, every man, every woman, in this place, the first five chapters of Romans, rather the first five verses of Romans chapter five, the peace, the grace, the hope the rejoicing and tribulation and the love of God. So in, in chapter 6, um, he has another argument, and, and the argument is this. I'm just going to summarize the argument, then we will go into the verses, verse by verse. In chapter 6, he says, that's stuff in your life. That darkness, that sin... That guilt, that residue from sin, that memory of sin. Anybody have a problem here? The memory of their sin? Anyone? You don't have to raise your hands. Am I? <laughs> Hope I'm not the only one that struggles with it every single day. But um, uh, the, the ugliness that it left in your own mind, the power of sin it has in your life, Paul argues in Romans chapter 6 has been broken. It, it, it really, in my opinion, at least what it did for me 28, 29 years ago, it's a, it's a, it's a much more powerful argument. Chapter 5 is a logical argument. He's, 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 he's trying to deal with, come on, you're logical people. If Jesus died in order for you to save you from hell, come on, it's a lot more than fire insurance. I mean, he, he wants you to have the peace. Why would he stop there and not go on and do that work in your life? He who began a good work, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's an argument from logic. But in Romans chapter 6, it's just full of the power of God and the power of God that you now have in your life over sin. So let's read it. Verse 1 says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now, 
Read verse 7 with me. You don't have to say it out loud, but it's true. It's a fact if you are in Christ. For he who has died has been freed from sin. That's talking about you. Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So let's break down this argument. Let's break down this argument about why that stuff, that sin, that residue from sin, that memory of sin, that guilt of, uh, of sin, it no longer has power over you. So we're without excuse. The peace is ours, the grace is ours, the love of God and tribulation is ours, and the love of God is ours. So verse 1, again, let's, let's just go verse by verse. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, why is he saying that? Well, that is a response to the two last verses of chapter 5. The two last verses of chapter 5 says this. So that, as, rather, verse 20 says, moreover... The law entered, meaning into the, in, into the God's people. He's speaking of the Mosaic law here. The law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Now, now what does that mean? That means, we talked about this briefly last week, that when, when, when God gave man the law, and he knows what the law is, Man becomes all the more aware of the fact he's violating the law, but worse than that, he wants to break it all the more. He, he, he just all the more, he, he wants it. It's, it, it again, I, 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 I think we used this illustration from last week. I apologize, but um, if, 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 you have, if you're throwing seeds on the grass and you tell your four-year-old, uh, don't go out on that grass, uh, what are they going to want to do? They, they weren't going to go on the grass before. You know, they didn't like the dirt. Uh, but, but, but now they're going to run onto it. And the Bible says that when the law is introduced... That's what it does. It, it actually multiplies sin. But what verse 20 says is that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Meaning that, meaning that the death, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus covers all of it. So the more sin, the more grace. The more sin, the more grace. And, and so actually, we can skip right over the, verse 21 and go right to uh, chapter 6. It says, well, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That, in other words, hey, I, I, maybe we should just keep on sinning because the more we, we, we sin, the, the more grace there are and the, the more God gets all the glory for all the more grace. And, and by the way, whenever you teach grace, that a man or woman is 
saved by God or comes into right relationship with God, not by doing good things, because that's impossible, because if the Bible says all our good works are tainted by our, by our, by our selfish motives, it says all, our best of works are like filthy rags, and whenever you teach that it can't be by works, but it's, but, but it's only because of the perfect righteous life of another person, Jesus Christ, and by faith, asking that Jesus Christ into your life. Whenever you teach that, there is a group of people, there's two groups of people who will respond in two different ways. One will say, well, if you teach that, everyone out there is going to run out and they're going to just go, go hog wild crazy with sin. And they're going to basically run into the bars and getting drunk, running to the brothels to, uh, to, to have sex, just running away from their families and, and doing whatever. If you teach that, they will do that. That's one group. But there's another group who actually says, wow, that's really cool. And they're the ones going and doing it. They're the ones going out and living any way they want. I, I'm, hey, I'm a, I'm a blood-bought sinner. Saved by grace. And, and so they go out and do whatever they want to do. So grace is a dangerous thing to teach. It has been said, if you are not criticized and people are not responding in these kind of ways to your teaching, you're not teaching about grace because it's a dangerous thing. But verse 1, that's the question. Well, what are you saying, Paul, when you say that? When the law came, grace abounded, it, it, uh, rather sin abounded, and, but, but even as sin abounded, grace abounded. What are you saying? Should we just continue in sin that, that grace may abound, that grace may increase? Verse 2, what does Paul say? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now, some of you can relate to this because there was just so much pain and misery and tragedy in your life out of Christ. You're thinking, what? I would never, ever, ever go back there. What, what a ridiculous question. What do you mean, continued? I never want to go back there. But Paul's going to go deeper with his answer. Again, he starts off in verse 2, certainly not. We don't continue in sin. How, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Verse 3, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, what might that mean? We'll get to that. Let's continue. Therefore, we were buried in him through baptism and death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified 
with him, with Jesus, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Okay, now that is a mouthful. Like every set of 10 verses in the book of Romans is a mouthful. But let's work our way through it. Paul, is, Paul says here that when you, you put your faith in Jesus, you died with him. He says that five times. At least five times. Or is it, eight, uh, or is it six times? He says it in verse 3. He says, you were baptized into his death. Verse 4, you were buried with him. Verse 5, you have been united together in the likeness of his death. Verse 6, your old man was crucified with him. Verse 8, we died with Christ. And then in verse 10, actually, it says, he died to sin once for all. So, so five times you are told that when you put your faith in Jesus, you died with Jesus. What does that mean? You know, it's my prayer at Calvary Chapel that we just not run over the verses, but when we see a verse and we're not sure what it means, we think. Imagine the thought. And then when we sort of get it, we think more. And then we more sort of get it, we think more. And we think and we think and we think until we, we get it. We own it. Praying throughout the whole time. What does this mean? We died with Christ. What could that possibly mean? Well, it's, I think it's simpler and, and, and wow, do I, I go before God, just please help me with these messages. How do I explain this? But this one I actually think is, is simpler that, than, than you may think. If you are a Christian, what did we say are the two words that describes you? Shout it out, nice and loud. In Christ. One more time, louder. In Christ. in Christ. The answer really is in those Two words, in Christ. In Christ, 50 times, almost all of them, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, 50 times in Christ. Here's just one of them, by the way. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's one of the 50. Actually, it's a few more, a few uh, less than 50, but it's about 50. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. All things become new because you are in Christ. But again, what does it mean that you died with Jesus? Well, it, it goes back to this in Christ. In Christ means you're, 
you've been united to him. In Christ means that when you put your faith in him, you became one with him. Now, now listen, this is important. Being a Christian, if you leave with anything, nothing else, if you leave with nothing else, please leave with this in your mind, branded into your mind and your soul. Being a Christian is not supremely doing the things that Jesus says to do. It's not supremely that. If that is what you think Christianity is, doing the thing that Jesus says to do, you do not know what Christianity is. That's what I thought Christianity was for about 24 years. But, but Christianity is not supremely doing the things that Jesus says to do. Christianity is becoming one with Jesus Christ. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. I won't say it 50 times. But, it, but it, it's becoming one with Jesus Christ, which happens when a man or woman gives their life to him by faith. You become one with him. You become united with him. Read Romans chapter 6, verse 5 with me. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. When something's been united, we become one with him. Now, so many verses in the Bible about this. We were in the book of John, before the book of Romans. Remember John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says what? That famous verse, I am the vine, you are the branches. We are united. We have been grafted into him. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17. If any verse convinces you in the Bible, it should be this one. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. So, back to Paul's argument in chapter 6. The reason you who are now in Christ can now enjoy God's peace, God's joy, God's love, and that the stuff in your life, that's, that, that, that stuff, that sin, that guilt, that residue of sin, that memory, that ugliness, that, that power it has on your life, uh, it, it, the reason you can enjoy the grace of God now, the joy, the peace, is that sin has been broken and the, you have been freed from the power of it. Why? Because you're united with Jesus Christ. Now try to follow me here. Now that you are one with Jesus Christ, the Bible says you not only become united with his perfect life and by virtue of being united with his perfect life, that qualifies you immediately, right then, for heaven. But you also become united with his perfect life death. And that's what Romans, that's the beginning of Romans uh, chapter 6 is getting at. You've not only become, five times it says you, you died with him. When you gave your faith to him and your life to him, you became united to him, not only with his perfect life, but in death. Verse 3, verse 5, verse 6, verse, uh, verse 8. And, and so, um, Again, verse 
3 says, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, you've been united to Jesus Christ, marry that verse with verse 10, which says, for the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. I hope and I pray that you follow me on this. It says in verse 10 when, that when Jesus died on the cross, he died to sin once for all. Meaning there was a final victory over temptation of sin. And by being united to him in that death, you now have victory, you have power over sin. The, the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 4 of Jesus, of, of his life leading up to his death. Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And how did this story end? Someone shouted out. What was the last thing that happened? Someone shouted out. He died. That's right, he died. In other words, he had final two... He was perfect unto death. He, he overcame temptation of sin unto death. And now, Romans 6 says five times in the first 10 verses, you've been united to his death. Is everyone following me? It's the glory of being in Christ. It's why it's mentioned 50 times in the Bible. You, you become united to Jesus, not only in the perfection of his life, which qualifies you for heaven, but in his death, which, which means you get the benefit of a life, of having a life, that perfect life, being joined to that life, which had complete victory over sin unto death. Now, we know that this does not mean that we'll be able to be sinless for the rest of our life. Because we have that, what's referred to in these same verses, actually in verse 6, it refers to the old man, the old woman. And so uh, we still have the old man, the old woman in us, but we can never say, we can never say, oh, I've just had this sin issue, this addiction issue, this issue since I was a little kid. You know, my, I, I was mistreated by my dad, my mother, my brothers, my friends. I have this handicap, I have this issue, that issue, and therefore I'm just... The psychologists tell me until, until I die, I'm just going to be, I'm going to have this sin issue in, in my life. None of that. You've been united to his perfect life and you've been united to his perfect death. And therefore, one last time, Sean, those first five verses in Romans chapter five, the previous chapter, you can and will be, if you embrace God's word, be the beneficiary of the peace of God, the grace of God. You can rejoice in hope. Instead of being always terrified of the future, you can rejoice in what's going to happen in the future, in this life and for eternity. You can actually rejoice in uh, your tribulations no matter how much pain and, and, uh, and affliction may come uh, with them, and you can receive the love of God. This is a powerful argument. 
that Paul presents in Romans chapter 6. It transformed my life early on, and I am so thankful for it. We have communion service this morning. If, if the worship team could come up, we're going to be having communion. And one of the, one of the things that we were here on Friday night, uh, and we had a communion service on Friday night, And the verse, the operative verse, the verse that we talked about as the rule of our, our, our evening communion service is actually the rule of every communion service. It says, let a man, let a woman examine themselves before they go to the communion table because the cup represents the blood of Jesus and that blood is a precious, precious thing. A gentleman asked me before this, the service, what does that mean? What does that song mean? They were just singing the precious blood of the lamb. And I had the blessing of being able to explain it to him. The lamb in the Old Testament, the lamb was brought to the altar. Every day a lamb was slain. The blood was poured out on the altar. It was a foreshadowing of the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And that, that blood, the precious blood, poured out, not only to pay the punishment for your sin, but to pay for the privilege of you having power over sin. And we don't want to go to the communion table without fully embracing that. If you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time... Any prayer partners, if you've been asked to pray, if you could come up. So Danielle is going to be uh, leading us in worship as we head into the time where we have communion. And I just, you know, this is just a time of, uh, a, a time of prayer. And you don't have to come up here. Certainly you can just... It's a preparation time, a prayer preparation time. You can prepare by prayer just in your own, in your own seats. But if, if today you're, you're just, um, you know, I'm talking about that memory of sin that prevents you from having the joy, the peace. Experiencing the love of God. And you've just been hindered. You've just been hindered um, by the residue, the leftovers from a past life. Or, or you get a present thing that's just hounding you and preventing you from experiencing Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And you'd like prayer for it. Please come up. But I really want this to be a worship, a time of worship, a celebration. That's what I want this to be. Communion, Eucharist, it's, it's, it's a celebration of what the blood of Christ purchased for you, of who you are now in Christ. It's a celebration that of, of, of the eternal life 
that you have because of the precious blood and the power over sin that you have because of the precious blood. Now, if you're not in Christ, and by that I mean you've never come up and just acknowledged that you've been a God substitute, a substitute for God your whole life. You. <laughs> he created the world, and you know, I was sharing this with a couple guys who were helping me out in the yard this week. They had all kinds of different thoughts about God and how all the different things God may be. And, and I said, look, if there really is a God, why would he leave it up to everyone's best guess to figure out who he is? He didn't. He sent his son and he sent the word. And if there is a God, what could be more important than you finding out who he is? Because uh, the most important thing of life has to be, if there's a God, that you need to conform your life to his purposes. If you've never done that in your life, said, okay, yeah, that kind of describes me. I've been a God substitute. I've been a substitute for God. Come on up. It's a prayer of faith. You just, by faith, you open up your heart. Bible says he's knocking on, the, on your heart. Just open up your heart and say, Jesus, come in. I believe who you are. It's communion time. We don't want to go to the communion table if we're out of Christ. It's not for people who are out of Christ. That's Jesus' words, not mine. The Last Supper, the first communion. It's for the children of God. The Bible says that to as many who believe in Jesus, to all those who receive them, to them he gives the right, the privilege to be children of God and then to celebrate communion with him. This is meant to be a blessed time. I think it's Luke 22 where Jesus is in the Last Supper. He's going to be crucified uh, just about 12 hours later. And um, he says to his disciples, the, uh, the apostles, he says, it is with great desire that I have desired to fellowship with you now and share this cup and share this bread. This is a guy who knew what was going to happen to him less than 12 hours later. And he had his betrayer right there at the table. So that's how much God wants that fellowship with you. <laughs> Romans chapter, I mean, John chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says that he knocks at the door of your heart. And it says, any man who opens his heart, he says, I will come in and I will eat with him. That signifies fellowshipping with Jesus. If you're out of Christ, you're missing all of that. So if you're out of Christ and want to come in Christ, come forward and let's pray while we worship. Father, in the name of Jesus, just bless us now. We just... Um, we give you surrendered hearts and surrenders lives, Lord. Help us to worship you in Jesus' name.